Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO of Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But true clarity in life and in business often requires a slightly different kind of vision. I happen to have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity, and I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Eric Lupton is president of Lifesaver Pool Fence Company. He is also an expert on pool safety. He serves on the board of directors for the National Drowning Prevention Alliance and became the NDPA vice president in 2016. In addition, he was chosen by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission as a pool safely campaign safety leader, is the founder of Manufacturers Advocating Pool Safety, and launched the charitable Save a Life Pool Fence Donation Program in 2011. Eric manages all of this while living with a severe disability, cerebral palsy, caused by a brain injury during birth that requires him to use an electric wheelchair and need help for many day-to-day tasks. His symptoms are almost identical to those that can be experienced by near-drowning survivors. Fortunately, neither his speech nor his intellect were affected. His IQ score puts him in the country's top 0.1 percentile. However, Eric takes little stock in IQ tests, and does not believe they are an accurate indicator of a person's capabilities or potential. Eric, it's my honor to welcome you to the art of seeing clearly. So Eric, as I was doing research and prepping for our podcast interview today, truly I find your story fascinating and I think our listeners will as well. And so just to kind of start us out, tell us a little bit about your company Lifesaver and how you came to lead. Sure. Lifesaver Pool Fence Systems Incorporated manufactures removable mesh pool safety fencing. So if you live in Florida or California or Texas or Arizona, this is a really common thing around pools, but we have dealers throughout the country. So essentially, it's a fence that goes around the pool, not around the yard. And its sole purpose is to prevent children from accessing the pool and drowning. And uh, we've been manufacturing this pool fencing for 35 years. And the company was started in 1987 by my parents. Their garage was just big enough where they could fit the the table you need to make the pool fence. So my mom would sew the border material under the mesh at night, all night long. And then at three o'clock in the morning, my dad would get up and he had a paper route. And whatever money he made from the paper route, that was his advertising budget. And so he would go out and deliver papers, then come back home. And then my mom would get me and my infant brother up and ready for the day. She'd send me off to school and take care of him. And then she would run the office and answer phones and schedule jobs. And then he would go out and try and sell pool fence. And if he sold one, he'd come back to the garage and make it, then go back out and install it. And they did that for a number of years till they got a warehouse and some employees and then started setting up dealers. And I, I dropped out of high school in my junior year, so 19... 
97, 98, something like that. And that's that's a story in and of itself. And I want to make sure that we get back to that. Sure. Um, that's a really interesting point um, and and topic of conversation. So continue on. Yeah. So I dropped out of high school. I started working in the office. And, and then in 2003, I was 21. Um, my mom had already stopped coming in and my dad just kind of stopped showing up. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but he kind of phased himself out. And so it- Did he tell you he was phasing out or did he just like kind of- I- do it on the sly. I think he kind of did it on the sly. And then I realized, like, you know, you don't really show up as much anymore. And I don't know if he had a firm plan, but yeah, at it, it, it 21, I was I was firmly running running everything. And now that I'm 41, letting a 21-year-old run your business seems like a terrible idea. What did your dad say at that time? When, when you talked with him later on, why did he feel comfortable allowing his son, 21-year-old, who dropped out of high school, yeah. like, run his company? He said he, he thought I would do a better job. You know, he had a lot of, you know, insecurities about his ability to grow it and about his uh, socialization. He was kind of an introvert and, you know, he, he kind of felt tired. He'd been doing it for, you know, at that point, you know, 20 years. And, uh, you know, I think he just felt like, you know, maybe maybe I could, I could do better. So, and, and he may have been right. I mean, we started, you know, and I, st- I took over, over in 2003. We, were, we had just hit, you know, a million dollars in revenue. And since then, we've grown, you know, over 12 times since we were then. So now we've got, you know, 90 dealers throughout the U.S. And we're in 15 countries on five continents. And uh, right now I'm at home, but usually I, I would be in my, my office where we have, you know, about 20,000 square foot of office and warehouse. As a 21-year-old and, and working in your, your mid-20s, did you feel you're prepared for this? You know, I think I was young and stupid enough to think I was. Sometimes naivety is good. Right? Yeah. But I, I clearly wasn't. I mean, it's was, it was very obvious I wasn't. And, uh, you know, I I definitely realized that other people didn't think I was. Who are those others? Well, I'm almost all my employees are okay. were older than me at the time, right? Okay. Uh, some of them have been there for much longer than me. The dealer network throughout the country that we we supply to, you know, they, um, they are their own separate independent businesses, but in many ways they kind of act and feel like not like employees, but extensions of, of the company. They, they use our knee, they use our logo, uh, we train them, and and all of them were, were much older than me also. So, you know, it kind of seemed like this, this this kid came along and is in charge now, and uh, it felt very much like nepotism, I think, in a lot of ways, and uh, especially for them who didn't know me. So, so yeah, it, I definitely felt like I was fighting an uphill battle to, to prove I wasn't just like, you know, the owner's kid who, who got handed a thing. And I think the story of how you became an entrepreneur, I think this story is really unique and it's not one that you're going to hear about much. There wasn't really a succession plan. You are so young. You didn't, a lot of young entrepreneurs happen, but they're not necessarily taking over family businesses at that age. So what's it like running a family company? Um, I love it. You know, I, I ran, you know, before Lifesaver, I had a company I did in high school. We did web design and, uh, you know, and I, I worked with some friends, but you know, I, I think it's I think it's fantastic, and I like that even though we're we're much bigger now than we were before, we still treat it very much like a, a family company. And I know that's that's such this kind of cliche thing to say that we're like a family, and um, you know, we treat it like a family. But I would say that the folks who work at Lifesaver repeat this often, and they kind of have the same ahead of time. They they were like, yeah, I know that I know how this sounds, but for real though, this company really is. Um, like a family and my brother still works you know works with me so we still have okay. family evolved and most of the staff especially in the office 
are, are friends of mine that I've known for, for 10 plus years. So my assistant, Mike, I've known since we were in the second grade and, and Kate, who's our VP of wholesale distribution, I've known for over 15 years and so we were, you know, good friends way before she started working there. And, you know, in many ways it still is, you know, very much a family business, even though obviously we've had to, to grow and mature and, you know, get a little sophisticated. What are some of the challenges you had to overcome early on in order to either prove, gain trust, or change how the game was being played? I mean, there were a few things. I mean, right off the bat, like I said, you know, I had to try and convince the people who I was now, you know, employing and uh, and this dealer network around the country that I wasn't just just some some kid who got plucked in here that was kind of ruined everything, right? So, and also I had to to convince myself that as well, right? I'm I'm 21 mm-hmm. years old. There's um, this very real imposter syndrome that, that is going right. So, so yeah, I think it just took, you know, time and, you know, proving myself kind of one, one day at a time, you know, one, one smart decision at a time. And then the, the problem with that is because you're already under this microscope that anything you do mess up on, which is inevitable, um, is now proof to the, the bias that was already, was already present. So, um, so that was big. And obviously all the, the pains that come from, from scaling and growing and kind of at the speed we did is. Were you naturally inclined towards uh, running, operating, managing a business as well as employees? Or is this something, again, you don't know what you don't know, but we want to have a successful business. So let's dive in and make it happen. I think so. I, I was always a, a leader type person. You know, I think I was always kind of the, the leader of my friend group and I was always starting clubs and leadership is kind of part of my DNA. And also uh, entrepreneurship is definitely part of our, you know, as a family DNA. Like I I was I was going to ask that. So tell yeah. me a little, to go on that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, we were told very young that, you know, we, we were definitely weren't going to get a job somewhere and work somewhere that whatever we did, we'd be working, you know, our own businesses and we'd be working on our own. And and so that was the the, the reason for the dropping out of high school. You know, the, the idea was, you know, you're, you're never going to have a job, right? You're never going to work for somebody. And, you know, what, you know, what, what's the diploma for really? And, um, and so that, that was kind of the, the thought process behind, uh, leaving school was I can, I can spend this time doing something, you know, more, more educational than maybe I was getting in the, the local high school. If you were to talk to your 21 year old self now or your high school dropout self at this point, would you still say the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Why? You know, I, um, I decided there had to be some hidden knowledge that the, the folks who went to business school had that I was missing out on, you know, the, the, the arcane MBA stuff that I, I must, you know, I, I clearly would have been a better business owner if I'd, if I'd done these things. So I, uh, when I got my GED, like in my late twenties and with the intent purpose of signing up for, for business school and like getting a, a business degree. And I did it for a year and change. And I kept forgetting to bring the books home from the office. Like they were sitting in saran wrap on, on my desk and I kept bringing them home and I kept going home and doing the work and I kept getting perfect scores and all the work. And I kept, you know, getting, I was like the, you know, teacher's helper, but I was always getting asked questions and I was supporting everybody. And, um, I was acing all the accounting stuff, which I thought was going to be like the place where I was missing information. What am now, I doing? Granted, that is not probably the normal. You are this extraordinary mind. I'm not sure what your IQ is. I've I've read it. It's it's like out of the, you know, kind of out of the universe. 
So were things just easy for you? Do you feel like you were bored with school? Maybe, you know, and, you know, I, I have cerebral palsy. I use a wheelchair, so things are weren't quite set up right for me, which, you know, uh, made things a little more difficult too. So, yeah, I think a, a combination of, you know, trying to operate in an environment that wasn't wasn't optimized for me and maybe a little bit of boredom and seeing, you know, does this seem kind of pointless in a lot of ways? Um, you know, they wanted me to take gym, you know, and I'm like, what, what am I going to do in gym? Like, it doesn't make sense. And you know, just so they can cross off something on their right, thing. Right. Because right. I had to, right. If the, the state department required me to take a gym class. And um, so I'm like, I think I'm, I'm good. I think I'm done. But, but yeah, so I, you know, I was acing all these classes and not reading any of the material. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe actually running a business for 10 years is, is as good as, as going to business school. Maybe I'm not actually missing anything. So I think it, it worked out for the best. Yeah. Well, and I think for you, clearly you've been successful and you've done a great job with a company that your parents started. So I think it's worked out pretty well. Keep going. So what's your next adventure? What's your next, you know, business foray? That's a good question. So we just launched our franchise program this year. It's very exciting. It's a separate company, but they're they're obviously connected. So, you know, we've been setting up dealers for the last, you know, 30 some odd years, but uh, we've decided to offer a, a franchise channel in addition. So folks who want to really grow their business or, um, and then going forward, anyone who wants to, you know, sell and install lifesaver pool fences in their local area now will be um, franchises. So um, that's been a, it's been a whole adventure learning everything about you know, franchising and uh, what's, in, what's entailed with that and setting up those systems for these, these local companies. And it's, it's really exciting. We're actually training our first two franchisees uh, this week. So, um, I, I had read that that had recently yeah. happened and there were, of course, a lot of work on the front end to get things, uh, set up to be sure. able to go. What do you feel it's, um, going to help your company do? And why did you look at franchising? Yeah, you know, I think the, the big thing is that we will be able to help the, the local franchise owner help themselves. You know, we've we've figured out over three and a half decades of doing this and seeing hundreds of dealers uh, grow and succeed or fail. You know, what works, what doesn't work, what you know software they should be using, how they should be doing their bookkeeping, what their installation process should be, how they should outfit their vehicles. And if you go the dealer route, which we've been doing, it gives them a lot of you know freedom to do what they want to do, which is great in a lot of ways. But a lot of times it's hard to get them to do what you know through experience is the best thing for them. Um, so with the franchise model, they get set up as perfect as we know how to do it right off the bat. And I think that's going to give them a massive advantage over, you know, other local pool fence companies who are kind of starting off without any infrastructure. And it's a completely new aspect of your company. So it keeps things hopefully fresh, inventive, yep. and and. Uh, growing your brand and your business. You talked a little bit about being kind of a natural leader. What do you feel that some of those leadership qualities are that you possess that have allowed you to become successful? That's a good question. I feel like you you, you better off asking this to the people that I... That that worked for you? <laughs> yeah, but but if I had to try, um, I, I have a strong belief that... Um, doing the right thing is always the right thing. Not only does it feel good, like it feels good to do the correct thing. I also think just very pragmatically, it turns out to be the the best thing to do. 
that that long term um, being generous and honest and treating people the right way and treating customers the correct way and you know giving out you know warranties to customers who don't deserve it even you know even if they're lying to you or, and these kinds of things over and over again like I said does it feel good like morally to kind of do the right thing but but also I think really pragmatically it's the best it's the right strategy I think it works out long term um, so I think that's that's part of it I, I do have a, a knack for I, I call it you know irresponsible generosity I think I uh, I lean towards being. I love I love your phrases that kind of have these like play on each other. So irresponsible generosity, that's great. Yeah, um, it probably sounds like it'd go well on a, a Tinder profile. But yeah, I think <laughs> I, I really believe in finding the right person and then trusting them enough to make mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we equate trust with trusting someone to get it right. But I think when you really trust someone, you trust them enough to mess up. And, and we, we do a lot of that at Lifesavers, you know, letting people do something and letting it go wrong. But, you know, we, we know that their intention was right. So that's, that's what matters the most, you know, so we, uh, we give out maybe too much autonomy, but uh, I think it's, I think it's the better way to do it. Does your, does your staff or your employees feel that way? Do they, you know, want more or do you attract those people that Hey, I'm going to thrive on this autonomy, even though I'm going to feel uncomfortable in the moment. Yeah, I think I think we attract people who who definitely like it. Um, like I said, I I really believe in um, hiring friends and family. I know that the rule is that you shouldn't hire friends and family, but if I'm going to spend eight or ten hours a day there, I want to be around people I like, and and so I I would rather be around people I know well, like you know people who I'm good friends with or who are related to me. So like I said, most people who work, especially in the office around me, are people I've known for a long time. But yeah, I think it it attracts, you know, that kind of person. And um, I've joked before that it's kind of the the Montessori style of, of, of business where we, we, you know, I hire someone because I think they're a good person or a good fit or competent or smart. And then, you know, what their job ends up being changes based on, you know, what, what they kind of fall into. And, and that's happened over and over again. In fact, the guy who's heading up our franchise stuff, his name is, is Javier, and he's been my, my banker for the last 10 years. And I've known the whole time that, you know, if I ever had the chance, I would hire this guy because he's just, he's amazing. And so finally one day he called me and said, uh, hey, you know, um, I'm leaving leaving the bank I'm working for. And my, my first question was, well, what bank am I switching to then? Like, where, you know, where are you going? And, you know, where do I got to put my account <laughs> to? And he's like, no, no, I'm leaving banking. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. I was like, well, I know exactly what you're going to do next. Um, and I didn't know what he was going to do, but I knew that if we got him here, we, we would figure it out. And, um, and then I think, you know, we start, that was maybe one of the reasons we decided to really press forward with the franchises because I knew he would be around, but, uh, be there to help support that effort. But yeah. Uh, but you know, there are times, so for him, for instance, he's worked in the banking universe for so long, you know, he's, he's looking for like, you know, uh, the annual review, right. I go through and tell him, you know, what, what's good and bad and the report and I don't really do that kind of thing. So it's, um, uh, you know, I think some people would like a little more structure, but but they'll be all right. They'll be fine. What is one of your weak points as running this company? If you were to have to give yourself a weak point, what would you what would you say that hey I or maybe it's not your genius. Maybe it's not your weak point. Maybe it's just not your genius. What are what are those for you? No, I've got plenty of weak points. I mean, we could we could be here all day. <laughs> most, most of everything actually is my weak point. It's uh, <laughs> I'm only good at like three things. But yeah, I think like what I just said. I, I kind of I think I'm one step away from from laissez-faire, right? I, I really like to let people do their thing 
and maybe that's to my detriment sometimes. I, I'm not detail oriented at all. I really need people to to execute on the stuff that I, I want to do. Like I need people to actually do the work. Uh, I am not that guy. Like I, I need people who are actually good at working to, to do things. Um, I, yeah, any kind of like follow up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not that great of a communicator. How do you, how do you make up for these things? And is it, is it other people or yeah. how do you grow yourself to become competent in some of these areas, even though they're not your quote unquote genius things that you love doing? No, I've decided that I'm never going to be good at them. And okay. I, 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 I found, that's fair. yeah. And I found other people who are, that's, that's the key. Yeah. I think that's the key of being a leader though, too, is knowing yeah. what your, what your genius level is and where you are most impactful Mm-hmm. And then saying it's okay. I don't have to be impactful in every single one of these areas. I can have other people help me, you know, round out that that completeness. Not that you're lacking anything, but just round that out. Oh, oh, yeah. This for a company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm lacking all kinds of things. It's it's, it's all of it. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I think I think those are. I mean, that, I could I could keep going. There's just so many. But uh, but yeah, the detail stuff, communication. Yeah, we joke in the office that we. The, the communication system is people just overhearing people talk about things. So someone hears me on a phone call and then has to be like, what was that? What am I supposed to do? Eric, how do you find that balance though between feeling like I don't need to be all of this for everybody? As a leader, as a business owner, I feel if I'm faltering in one area that, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing as this owner or this leader. And how how did you find the power just to say, that's Okay. You know, it's and this sounds silly, but it literally dawned on me at one point that just because I don't do something myself doesn't mean that Lifesaver didn't do it. Like if something besides me does a thing, it still gets done at Lifesaver, right? Mm-hmm. And which which sounds it, it sounds really silly, but it you know it was kind of a, a weird thing to realize. And once I realized that, like oh well, then we can do all kinds of stuff because I only have so much most time, right? What's uh, your what's your most rewarding part of what you get to do? Uh, there's two apps. I, I think the, the two best parts of my job are um, one is is protecting um, kids from drowning in pools. You know, pool safety and drowning prevention is is huge. Uh, most people don't realize that drowning is the number one cause of death for children between the ages of one and four years old. So, you know, doing my small part to put a dent in those numbers and maybe make it one day the number two cause of death or, or, or three or lower, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Wow. So, so drowning prevention is huge. Um, as kind of a, a subset to that, uh, we we donate pool fences to any family who's had a fatal or non-fatal drowning. So, um, I, I'm usually involved in those donations. So, I, I really, um, while it's terrible that you know the people we're talking to have usually had some kind of um, you know backyard you know accident or a pool tragedy, um, you know, I really do love that they will allow us to give them a free pool fence. That's a really rewarding part of my job. And then the other half is on the business side is helping uh, dealers and our franchisees, you know, start and grow these businesses that they use to support their families and improve their lives and send their kids to college. And, and and that to me is fantastic. You know, we, we have so many stories of folks who were, who were just kind of getting by or, you know, they were doing moderately okay. And then they found us one way or another. And they decided to to take a chance with us, and now they're 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 really successful and they're they're really doing great. and And I love that too. That's um, yeah, the water safety stuff, and then like kind of the 
you know, changing people's lives through entrepreneurship is is both kind of equally rewarding. Wow. I, I find it really interesting. My childhood was almost directly opposite where I knew that if I wanted to do this, I was going to be good in school. I was going to go on. I'm going to go to college. And I always thought I would work for someone else. And it, it's it's amazing. I've, I've visited with a couple other people whose parents didn't necessarily push them into entrepreneurship in any way, but like the talk, how you, how the things happen at the table or in the office or in the garage where you might've been with them was all based around being your own boss and, and being that entrepreneur. So it, it is really interesting what you learn and what you're around and who's who's telling you those thoughts, those ideas can also lead and dictate where you end up. But did they see something in you, something different that also, or did they also push your brother the same way? I, you know, it's a good question. I mean, I think that, yeah, they always knew I was, you know, different's a very nice way of putting it, but, uh, you know, unique in a, in a special way, we'll, we'll say, right? I, I always say I'm unemployable. So maybe they realized that I, I could never work for somebody because, uh, well, I currently say that about myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I could never work for somebody. I'd be a disaster. Um, no one should ever hire me. I'd, I'd be awful. Um, so, so maybe they realize that, like, you know, he, he's got to work for himself. No one's, this is never going to work. I, I think we just had this culture of entrepreneurship, you know, and um, because- Did that come from their families as well? Yeah, you know, my, my, my mom's dad, actually, yeah, both of them. I realized that till just now. My mom's dad owned a, a company that installed laundry chutes. <laughs> and my dad's father was a shrimp boat captain, so he owned a, like a, a boat. Um, so yeah, they were they were both. You know, they I was going to go down the shrimp line, but I, I can't get them all. I don't know them either. I, I'm just not going to go there. Yeah, but yeah, he eated shrimp and scallops. So yeah, they both came from kind of business ownership families, and um, and yeah, it was just kind of always known that that was our deal. That we were you know we were those people that were gonna you know always be starting our own thing and. And I, and I think it's, I think it's great. I think entrepreneurship is ideal for anyone with a disability. I think usually people think about like you, like probably the route you took where you, you get to a point in, in your career where you have no choice, but to branch out on your own. Cause you've kind of, you've kind of maxed out what you can do working for somebody else. Right. But I think, you know, for people who have any kind of disability, uh, whether it's like, like a physical one, like mine, a cerebral palsy or even. Yeah, I was just going to have you tell our listeners what your disability was. Yeah, so I have cerebral palsy. I was born with it. Um, I use a wheelchair. So um, that's, you know, it messes with any kind of fine motor functions. So, you know, I need help with like bathing and dressing and cutting up food. But um, I type pretty well and um, I allegedly can talk sometimes. And I think my brain is mostly okay. But, um, but yeah, so that's that's my deal. And And I think, like I said, you know, this idea that entrepreneurship is kind of the final level of it, of this game where you, you beat all the other levels and now you're, you're moving out on your own, um, doesn't work for people who might have a, who I think would be super great at starting their own thing, but can't be employed because of whatever their disability is. And, and the beautiful part, as you know, about having your own business is you get to decide what the environment looks like and is best for you, right? You get to decide what hours work for best for you literally where you work, you can make your, or your workspace, however you want it. You can have, you know, whatever employee, um, situation you want to, to make it best suitable for you. Um, you know, you get to dictate everything about how you work. And if you're a person that requires very specific 
environments in order to be successful, which is pretty much anyone with any kind of disability, um, I think that's the the ideal thing for, for people in that situation. So, um, so yeah, I think that that doesn't get talked about quite enough that, you know, there's probably a lot of people who think they can't work uh, who actually could be really successful business owners. Wow. And it, it does come from the end of, at the end of the day from the, the drive and probably creative thinking on how do I make this situation work for me? You call yourself the quote unquote crippled CEO. In fact, you've got a blog that is is uh, titled that as well and several blog posts that you've done. I've read several of them and I, I really do enjoy them. So I agree with you. I don't feel like in any way, shape or form that you have been limited by uh, in any way with abilities and definitely not for success. So and you have an interesting acronym for CRIP. Tell me what CRIP is. It's uh, Creatures Realizing Infinite Potential. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Like, Why? what does that mean to you? Well, one, it, it, fit, it fit the word I needed to use. So that was, that was important. <laughs> it, it, all four letters. I wanted to call people Crips and that was, that was, yeah, that's most important. But no, also I, I think it, um, you know, I think it's a good way. So the word cripple in general is seen usually as a, as a negative in the that's space. a negative thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a slur, right? And it's kind of, uh, you know, you can compare it to a bunch of other, you know, uh, racial ethnic slurs that kind of fits in that that category typically. Um, but I think that you can, you know, reclaim language and kind of take the sting out of terms that might be offensive if you decide to own them. I mean, uh, I'm not religious, but but cripples in the Bible, right? Jesus healed the cripples. You know, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's, it's good enough for me. And uh, I think, you know, calling myself that, you know, if, if you... If, if I call myself that, what the heck can somebody else call me, right? It's, it's a lot easier. But yeah, and I, I thought the, the creatures realizing infinite potential was a way to take, you know, this thing, grip, which could be seen as a bad thing or a limiting thing, and now you've kind of reversed it into something, you know, empowering. and uh, Empowering. I yeah. love your, your blogs, your writings. I feel like are a lot on empowering other people just to think differently. What do you believe is, you know, you could think of crippled CEO as somebody who might have some obstacles. What do you believe is your key to overcoming obstacles? Oh, I think, you know, creative problem solving, which you touched on a bit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I've talked about this in the blog that, you know, one of the, the, the main, you know, benefits, if you're lucky enough to be born using a wheelchair, right, and, and having cerebral palsy, is that you are constantly finding creative solutions to problems that no one else has ever had before, right? Because no that. one with, with my set of abilities has ever, you know, learned how to type on a keyboard or use a mouse or eat food or, um, you know, you know, get, you know, get to work or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, yes. and so, you know, I've had to invent all these ways to do things for myself without anyone to help me essentially. Which is like the key successful stories of entrepreneurs and business owners, right? Exactly. So um, I, I, I'm constantly being forced by my circumstance to, you know, be a creative problem solver. So I think that's been a, a, a huge benefit to, to growing a business because, you know, I, I think most CEOs, as I'm sure you would know, are, you know, chief, you know, firefighters, right? We're, we're, we're essentially problem solvers. That's the, that's the whole job. I, I look at mine as solving puzzles. Yeah, so same same concept. I'm like, it's just a puzzle to be solved. Like yeah. the puzzle will be solvable. It's just a matter of how we get there. Sure. And, you know, I think anyone who's, 
who has any kind of disability realizes that same thing too. If you, if you smash your head against it enough times, you'll, you'll break through it eventually. You know, you, you might be brain damaged by the time you're done, but you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get through it. <laughs> might look a little funnier, but yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> but, but you know, eventually you can uh, overcome pretty much anything if you, if you hit it enough times. So how do you do that, Eric? Like, how do you personally realize that potential for yourself? I mean, there's physically, mentally, emotionally. How do you, like, just go for that and overcome those obstacles? What's, can you, like, what's been some of the methods of your success? I think, and, you know, and I I really hate, relying on like kind of like cliches and tropes. In fact, I have, you would appreciate this. I have this word document called circleback.doc. And it's just all of like the, the corporate speak isms that you, you know, you hear all the time, like, you know, uh, you know, circle back and synergy and let's table that anyway. So I, I really try to avoid these, but I, I do think that having a sincere, like love and enthusiasm for, for what I'm doing uh, makes me want to keep doing it. And I think that's, that's really helped, you know, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Right. And I think that, you know, if you, if you're really enjoying what you're doing, you can put up with a whole lot to, to get through it. And I think that that's really a big part of it. Any methods or tactics you use to help always improve yourself, grow, think differently? You know what? This is silly. So, I, I put Silly's good. We take so yeah, yeah. I put an Alexa right um on my nightstand, right outside my bathroom in my room. Okay. And when I enter my my room to use the restroom, I tell it to start playing my audiobook. And, you know, the few times a day I go to the bathroom, I have it do an audio you know, do the audiobook. And you'd be surprised how many books you can get through a few minutes at a time. Um so so yeah, I that that weird like you know, and and also it takes me a few minutes longer to, to go pee than your average person. So I, I'm probably getting a few more minutes of audiobook in. Than you get are. a few more pages that someone. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's helped a lot. I, I don't even know how many audiobooks I've listened to that way. Too, too many. Um, so I think that's been a good thing. Um, you know, because I did drop out of high school and I didn't do any real college. Um, I've always kind of been a, a self educator. So I think that's a skill that once you learn, you get to keep keep using for, for the rest of your life. And I, I do all the time. Um, I'm always trying to find new things I suck at and, and get good at them. What's, what's the newest thing that you thought you sucked at that you've gotten good at? Chess. Ah, I, I picked up chess during the pandemic and I hired a chess coach. I really went, went all in with it. Didn't you like hire a master? I did. Yeah. Uh, international master Vitaly Neymar, who was at one point the Israeli chess champion is my, is still my chess coach. I have a lesson every Sunday. And uh, funny enough, just kind of like with uh, with Javier, who I mentioned, who you know he had a job, and I knew one day I'd, I'd steal him. And uh, just like with Mike, my assistant, you know, he lived in Chicago, and when he came back, I, I had I had a dream one day that I would I would hire Mike to be my assistant if we ever got big enough. And and sure enough, when he came back from, to Florida from Chicago, I I realized it. And um, and yeah, it was Vitaly, same thing. So he, um, I met him as my chess coach. And then a year later, we hired him as our CFO because he, his day job was, was accounting. So yeah, I'm always uh, I'm always recruiting folks from my my bizarre life. So you're always looking at somebody to like, hmm, they might work out or hmm, they're not. So you've already like kind of picked the people that you'd love to have on your team. 
yeah, I, and there's still people that I that I'm friends with or that I know through work that I'm I'm, I'm always thinking like if I ever get the chance, that's that's the next one. One of the things you mentioned earlier, Eric, was something about imposter syndrome. And I have always felt that that's been a term that's been used more with uh, females being in leadership roles, running companies, that type of stuff. But interestingly, in the last year or two, I've heard more men talking about that and being very open about that. And you state that you've suffered from this as well. How have you grappled with that? I think part of us, part of all of us, thinks inside that we're, we're frauds and we're going to get found out, right? <laughs> that we're just we're just faking it and stumbling along, and you know everything we've done has been built on a house of cards. And at any minute now, they're going to figure it out, and it's, and it's all going to come crashing down, right? Um, or maybe that's just me, but I, I have a feeling it's it's probably a lot of us. I'm 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 giggling and smiling because I'm shaking my head up and down in a yes fashion. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Uh, you know, I, I really do think that we all we all think this. And um, I think if you know it's everybody, then that helps for sure. Um, if you kind of realize that we're all we're all faking it, you know, um, and I think that's fine. You know, I, I've said before that if I had a friend of mine who just pretended to like me and be super nice all the time, but they were so good at it, I never found out, then to me, they would be like a good friend and it, why would I care? Or even like a wife, and and I kind of feel that way. If, as long as as long as you, you're so good at faking it that you do a good job, then what's what's the difference? But uh, but yeah, I think time helps, right? If you get enough wins, yeah. if enough things go well, then the yeah. the the mountain of evidence before you that you're actually good at what you do it kind of becomes undeniable. And I, I think for me that was a big big help. You know, my, my track record's gotten long enough now that I can. It'd be it'd be almost, you know, deliberately obtuse for me to. To say that I I'm I'm not good at this when there's there's so much evidence to the contrary, and you are now be likely becoming mentors for others and helping them through their possible insecurities of feeling like maybe they're not enough or good enough to be doing what they're doing. Right. Do you have anybody in the business world that or or in life that you particularly admire and who's kind of helped boost you and support you? Uh, you know, my my dad was huge in that. You know, obviously he was was running the business. You know, before I was, and um, he he came from a you know a lifelong entrepreneurship background, and um, and he was also never wrong. It was really annoying. He was right about everything. It was terrible. It was the worst. You know, you disagree with him, and then he, six months later he'd be right, and you're like, God, I hate that. It's terrible. But uh, but no, he was great. And would you admit it to him that he was right? Would, yeah, would... you have to, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And he, and he knew, and so he was so smug about it. It was the worst. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, so I mean, he was huge. You know, I, you know, he he passed away in 2017. But uh, and it was kind of cool actually. So he retired in 2003. He stopped coming to work, and then when my mom passed away, in unbeknownst to you, he just stopped showing up one day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he just he just stopped showing up, and then after my mom passed away in 2011, he was just at home like doing nothing. And I was like, you gotta come back to work. Like you're gonna you know, you're gonna lose your mind there. So he came back to work, and so from 2012 and through 2016, uh, he worked for me. We kind of switched, and he did, you know, our accounting and some of the bookkeeping stuff, and um, and it was really cool. Actually, it was really neat, and and it was great having him there. And so, yeah, I think he was probably my big one. You know, he was he was always a great support. And uh, anything you know, that you can recall that he used to say to you of his constant disappointment. No, uh, <laughs> let, let me know how terrible I was at everything I did. No, uh, no, he was great. You know, I you know it's funny. I remember a lot more of my mom's Woody's stuff. Mm, well, tell us one of your mom's. She. 
told me a couple times that any idiot can walk, which I always appreciated. And I, I used that for, for the blog. Yeah. She was telling me all the time that I was never going to be a roofer, so I better be smart, you know, because, you know, that I, I was definitely going to do something and be successful and, uh, and it wasn't going to be using my hands, so I, I should probably, you know, figure out how not to be not to be dumb. Yeah, if uh, if it if it won't matter in five years, it, it doesn't matter now, which is always great. She was a big fan of picking her battles, so so yeah, she had a lot more of the. Those are those are wise for both business and life. Yeah, they absolutely, are. absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of visionaries, uh, one of the things that you talk about in one of your blogs, I'll use the word vision and and move on. Blind spots. So um, as visionaries and business owners or humans in general, we tend to have a lot of blind spots, especially as related to leadership. And uh, so how can we heal, quote unquote, or work around some of these blind spots? I got to get it on a vision theme here a little bit. Well, I, I got to go required. down that round. So. Are you required to do one vision pun per episode? Is that? Is that... <laughs> no, but I had to bring it in somewhere. You know, the art of seeing clearly. We've got we've got to go down some vision route. So. I, I, I would have done so many by now if I were you. It would have been constant. It would have been. Would have been <laughs> I'm not that quick on my feet, so. Uh, yeah, people would be nauseated by, by all the, the eye puns I would have made by now. All the puns. Yeah, it would have been be like, God, I got to stop listening to this person. He's terrible. Uh, well, before we end, then you'll have to leave us with an eye pun. So if you uh, can think of one. Uh, I, for, for sure that'll happen. Um, but yeah, blind spots. I, I think the, the first step, like most things, is, is realizing that you, you're going to have them. And, and understanding that they're an inevitable part of your deal is in not only are you having them, but you don't realize how often and how bad they are. And how often and how bad they are. Those are those are strong words. Yeah. And I'm not disagreeing. I, um, and because you because you think you'll notice big problems, right? Or something, you know, major issues. But but you don't. And sometimes you'll notice, you know, much smaller things. So you kind of, you trick yourself into thinking Fixate you're on. good. Right. And so you're like, well, I noticed this thing over here. So obviously I'm going to see some giant looming thing, but, but you don't, uh, you know, I talked about that. I play chess. It happens all the time in chess. Like you, you've got, there's only 64 squares. You're looking at the whole board. Like clearly you're going to notice that you're going to lose your, your queen the next move, but, but you don't, you just, you just don't see it. And it happens in business too. You know, you have some you know, some employee who you think is happy was really important and it turns out they, they can't stand their job and they leave, not, not at my company, but other places. Or, you know, you've got some competitor who you don't take seriously who ends up being a real issue or, you know, some, you know, product problem that, you know, you, you just for some reason aren't aware of and it becomes, you know, a big, big issue. I mean, it could be anything, but. How do I we get better at seeing the blind spots without having it be a catastrophe before we see it? I, I think having more more eyes on the problem um, can help, you know, I, and I, but I think merely admitting that they exist helps you get closer to 2020 when there's one. See, I'm, t I'm telling you, it's going to keep <laughs> happening now. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I think, I think literally just knowing that they, they've got to be there and, you know, kind of, you know, admitting your own hubris or, you know, it will help you find them. I think that's, that's really key. Yeah. I, we, we do talk a lot about, you don't know what you don't know. And that also leads to a lot of, of blind spots. So uh, thank you for walking us through that and saying they're there and admit it and start looking for them the, the best you can. A little bit about you personally, Eric, one of the things that I know you love to say when people ask how you are. So if I was going to ask you, 
Eric, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. What is it about the word fantastic that is your word? Um, it was, it, it is, I think, the kind of the top adjective to describe how you're doing. Um, someone recently thought I could be doing spectacular, and I was like, oh, that might be better. So I was thinking about alternating. I, I might go back and forth. And, and I'll use, you know, synonyms, fantastic, or spectacular, or terrific. But yeah, I, I think there's two two reasons for it, if, yeah. if that's why you're asking. Um, I do want to know. Yeah. One, I think that if you say it often enough, even if you don't always believe it, it becomes true. I think you can trick yourself into believing it to be true. And is it like your positive affirmation in a way? Or yeah, it's, that... it's your positive. Yeah. And people enjoy having a consistent narrative in their own head of themselves. So if I'm saying all the time that I'm fantastic, then, then I, then I must be right. And, and what's funny about it is like, I really do think I live this amazing life despite having a disability that other people might say they'd kill themselves if they hadn't. Right. And, but it's, but I'm so adamant at how great my life is that other people take for granted how great it is. Like when I talk to people, they're like, well, yeah, obviously your life's amazing. And they forget, you know, that maybe the, that there's things that they, they wouldn't want to switch with. So, so it's interesting that I've not only fooled myself so much into thinking my life is great, but it's spread to other people around me. I think having a word like that is, is indeed fantastic, uh, stupendous, whatever word you want to use. So speaking of other things in life that make you happy, sitting behind you are a whole bunch of action figures. So if, if anybody were going to take a, like a picture of this room, I can't even name most of them. I can see Superman. I, I've got that one. But what is it about uh, this collection that is going on behind you? And I hear within your whole house that helps bring some uh, joy de vie, some happiness to your life. Um, you know, it, it's, it's finally cool to be a nerd, right? My, my whole life and <laughs> something you hid. But, uh, but we live in an era where... Your inner nerd is coming out, right? Yeah. The, the, the biggest movies on earth are Star Wars and, you know, Avengers and the Marvel stuff. So it's finally cool to be nerdy, uh, which is which is good for me. I agree. I think it is cool to be nerdy. I was I was on with somebody else uh, recently on a podcast. We were talking about go go for the nerds. Like yeah, nerds are the best. So yeah, I started like I was saying earlier that it started small and and, and you got your first one when? Oh, good question. Um, I'm gonna say twenty like fifteen, twenty sixteen. So we're saying as an adult, it's not like hey, I started collecting oh, okay. these when I was eight. Mm-mm. 20, 2015, 2016. So, yeah. Well, because, why? you know, like I said, I started with, with one I thought was cool. And I, and then I just kind of kept going. I'm really bad at doing things halfway. I, I, oh, it's a good trait, right? Yes, definitely. Yes. It's totally always a good thing. Oh, yeah. wait. Am I, am I perpetuating your nerdiness there? And yeah, with all the, with all the figures? Um, I just redid my front yard and I installed a giant chess set, like with four, three foot tall chess pieces. Um, in my very normal neighborhood, so people drive by and I'm like, "What in the world?" And but friends of mine are like, "That's that checks out. That's you know, Eric's into chess, and now he has a giant chess set in his front yard." Um, but yeah, I'm just bad at doing things halfway. So it started off small and kind of took over, and and I didn't plan to have my entire house turn into this, <laughs> but but yeah, I just kept you know liking them individually and then mm-hmm. displaying them, and and you know what? Now it's like a museum in here. And, and people love it. Like everyone new that comes to my house, despite whether this is a thing they're into or they're not, people really love it. It, it brings a lot of 
happiness to the people who come to my house. So it's. So what was your first one that you bought? So right above my head, there is a a life size Superman bust that I can I can send you a picture of. It's a. Uh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it, like you know, like you'd have like a bust of George Washington, you know, if you're like in a fancy office. Uh, it's like that, but it's Superman. And that, that was fabulous. It, what was the last one you bought? Um, it, that's a good question. It, it might be one of those behind me. There's this big Justice League one here of a uh, the the entire you know Justice League fighting. Uh, fighting dark side that's pretty new it took over a whole table they they do talk about you know you have to keep things that you absolutely love so do you really love each and every one of them i do it i've I've thought about if, which ones i would get rid of if i had to and i, I think <laughs> yeah. that's that'll be that'll be hardship, that'll be hardship. And, I, and, I, and i like them as a unit too i like the the, uh, the collection as a whole and the effect it has oh i love it i love it well Eric, I want to thank you for spending some time with us, uh, telling us some of the insights of your company, yourself, your thought processes, how you view leadership, as well as what you think about Superman flying overhead and and within your within your home. One of the last things I want to ask is, and this goes along with things I always love to know on the podcast. How do you see yourself and the world better? What do you do to make sure during your day that like I'm seeing myself as clear as this is Eric. This is how I keep myself steady. I don't know if I do. Okay. You know, I, you know, I, I wonder, I don't know if there's anything I do to make sure that I am seeing myself well, but I do try to make sure that I always feel good about all the decisions I'm making and about the way I'm spending my time and about the people I have around me in particular. I, I think I care a lot more about the people I let even talk to me more than other people do. Um, I, I'm really critical about, about you know, the people, my friends in my life and I, I, I cut people out quickly if I feel they're an issue. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know if I, if I make sure I see myself clearly, but I definitely want to make sure that I'm that all the ingredients in my life are the ones that would make sure that I'm the person that I want to be. Amen on that. I think that was fabulous. Actually, that almost, that, that made me a little teary <laughs> So, So I would say that that is your method of how you live your best life of, you know, making sure that your time is well spent the people that you are with and around um, are the ones that you want to be with. And with that, then I'm even more honored than before that you chose to spend a little bit of time with me on our podcast. And hopefully we are able to help others see themselves and the world a little bit more clearly. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.